0: Okay, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Now, as you know, the Apostle Paul has been talking to this church about sin for a while now. Uh, And as I've stated before, he will continue to talk about this subject matter until the middle of chapter 3, when in verse 22, he will be sharing the remedy for that sin when he says righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And he moves forward to share the gospel, shares how we're all sinners, how we're all in need of a Savior. But until that time, man's understanding of our sin continues to be the subject matter. And as I'm sure you are aware, the word sin is a a very broad term. It's a very large area to study. And Paul makes that clear by the number of issues that he actually confronts the church with. There's been many things that we have talked about. Matter of fact, starting in chapter 1, we talked about how man rejected God. And of course, that's where it all begins, isn't it? Man rejected God even after he revealed himself to them in creation. He then went on uh, to talk about what was taking place with homosexuality exchanging natural relations with the opposite sex to what he calls unnatural ones with the same sex. And he calls it shameful lusts. He then brought up numerous sins that are actually the outgrowth of having a depraved mind. Having a depraved mind isn't like a sin in itself. It causes a multitude of sins. He talks about things like greed and envy and murder, Slander, gossip, God haters, and he goes on and on and on. It's actually a very lengthy list of what happens when one has a depraved mind. Starting in chapter two, Paul dealt with the sin—a very important sin, very important sin, a very important issue that we need to deal with back in the first century as well as today—and that is the one of judging one another hypocritically. Okay, calling out another believer, yet you yourself do the exact same thing. Matthew 7 talks about this issue as well. It is not the issue of judging one another. No matter what people say, judging one another is not a sin. Judging one another hypocritically, self-righteously is. And so he discussed that issue as well. He then went into the stubbornness and the unrepentant heart and how people who are actually storing up, storing up wrath against themselves from God Almighty. And Paul then discussed something that is not talked about much in the church, and that is how God's wrath will not be a one-size-fits-all for every non-Christian. Some will receive a greater judgment than others based on the amount of light that they have Received, And then he went on to give the example of how the Jews were given the law of God. They were given God's moral standards, what he expected of them. But the Gentiles were not. They didn't have that standard. People will be judged differently. And then finally, in the past two Sundays, we've looked at verses 17 through 24 here in chapter 2, where we've looked at the sin of, of arrogance or of self-righteousness dishonoring God with with really the main focus being on hypocrisy. Now in this section, Paul is speaking specifically to a group of Jews in the church who have a total misunderstanding of being God's chosen people. Now, even though, yes, that is true, they are God's chosen people, instead of being grateful, instead of reflecting on how blessed they truly are, they took it to mean that they are superior to none other than the Gentiles, okay? God had blessed the Jewish people with so much, and you can see that at the beginning of Romans chapter 9, but here in our text, he talks specifically about how he has blessed them with the word of God. He has given them his very law, okay? But instead of seeing themselves through the law, instead of recognizing that they were sinners, they turned that on its head. And they gave themselves a false sense of security by saying, wait a second, we are the Jews. We are God's chosen people. He gave to us and he gave only to us his law, right? And so therefore, our eternal destiny is written in stone. I am heaven bound. And by the way, if you know any Jews today like I do, many of them still believe the exact same thing. Well, having this self-righteous attitude and seeing themselves as superior to the Gentiles, in verses 19 and 20, we see how these Jews considered themselves. Look what he says. He says, Paul says, since you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, that you are a light for those who are in the dark. These are the Gentiles, by the way that you are an instructor of the foolish, that you are a teacher of infants because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Folks, these people had a complete entire arrogance and, 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 and um, uh Just hypocrisy, if you will, but we'll get into that in a second, about themselves. All because of how God had blessed them. They falsely believed, as we just read, they were guides, right? They were a guide to the blind. They were teachers. They were instructors. And this was all to the Gentiles, right? We are a light in the darkness, us Jews. Well, having that attitude about themselves, Paul barely exhaled before he blasted them in the very next verses, verses 21 and 22. He says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? He says, you who preach against stealing, well, do you steal? You who say that that people should not commit adultery, well, my question is, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And then in verse 23, he says, You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? <laughs> these, these people place themselves on a pedestal as if they were better, as if they were spiritually superior, yet they live in such a way as if they have no, no, uh, no regard for their own doctrine. They preach one thing and they, they live another They seem to want everybody else to know what they themselves don't apply. And then verse 23 says, they brag about the law. They brag about possessing it. They brag about knowing it. But what does he say? But they dishonor God by breaking it. You can only brag so much before he says you dishonor God by breaking it. And so these Jews, and unfortunately, just like many Christians do today, we fail to see that our sin doesn't just damage our reputation, but it discredits the character of God, doesn't it? Because that's what it's ultimately doing. Matter of fact, in verse 24, Paul actually intensifies this statement of dishonor to really one of the worst statements that you would ever want to hear, He says in verse 24, God's name is being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Wow, those are some hard words, aren't they? I believe it's not just God. I believe it's also his word, and I believe it's also the church. Right? We're all obviously interconnected. And I believe all of us are openly mocked by some of the things that we ourselves do, kind of like they're doing as well. Can you imagine? I mean, literally, can you just imagine a friend or maybe a neighbor, uh, maybe a coworker, saying to you, you know, I was, I was interested in, uh, in God or Jesus, or Christianity, but when I noticed how you lived, it made me realize that, that the God you worship must not be that powerful because he's really done nothing for you. Not only is that an absolute slap in the face, but it demeans God and his gospel as powerless. But ultimately, that's what it's kind of saying to them. If you can imagine that happening to you, right? He says, you guys blaspheme the Gentiles. Blaspheme the name of God among the Gentiles. Well, after Paul finishes what I would call a very punishing statement, he's now going to change the subject matter, but he's going to stick with the exact same people that he has been focused on in the previous verses, and that, of course, would be the Jews. He's going to continue to talk with them, change the subject matter. And so let's read those verses, verses 25 through 29, and let's see what the problem is. He says, circumcision, Well, that right there, I ought to tell you, he's talking to the Jews, He says, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Well, it sounds like many Jews in the church at Rome were confused as far as the right of circumcision under the old covenant and how it functions or what it means under the new covenant. From the verses that we just reviewed, verses 17 through 24, it's obvious that these Jews struggled with letting go of the Mosaic law. Therefore, it really shouldn't be a surprise that circumcision has also entered into the conversation. Just like the Mosaic law in general, okay, circumcision also gave these Jews a false sense of security. The Jews regarded circumcision as a way of securing their salvation. Let me read for you a couple things. Rabbi Menachem, in his commentary on the books of Moses, he says, Our rabbis have said that no circumcised man will see hell. In the Medrash Tillam, it is said, God swore to Abraham that no one who was circumcised should be sent to hell. And then lastly, in another book, and I won't give you the title because I'm going to butcher that name, it is taught that, listen, it is taught that Abraham sits before the gate of hell and does not allow that any circumcised Israelite should enter there. That's where they stand. See? The Jews felt that they were right with God simply because of physical circumcision. As you know, it was a sign of the covenant. Yes, but to them, it was also their golden ticket to heaven. The problem, though, is that they only saw the physical circumcision, and they failed to see the symbolism that God intended. So many times, as we see in Scripture, the Jews focus on a a very specific act that God had commanded instead of seeing the meaning or instead of seeing the intent that God desired. They just see the act instead of seeing the intent. Well, let's turn back to where this all got started. Turn back, if you would, to Genesis chapter 17. This is where it all began. Genesis 17, verse 9 through 14. He says, Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant, that you and your descendants after you the, co- for the covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring." Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Obviously, God was very serious about this. The point, though, that you do not want to miss is the removing of the foreskin, even though it is an act of obedience, was not going to miraculously make somebody holy. It was a sign, as we just read, it was a sign of the covenant with God and his people. But that covenant with God and with the Jews was not for them to simply look different, it was for them to be different. Circumcision, like many things in the Old Testament, has a spiritual meaning. It has; it is a type, if you will. Okay, the physical part was obviously in obedience to God, as we just read, with His covenant with Abraham, but the cutting away was to symbolize the elimination or the uh, the removal of sin okay and we're we're going to see that in our text today and it's also mentioned though even in the old testament a lot of the jews just bypassed a lot of what was said there but in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16 this is still in the, this is the law this is the Pentateuch. it says very simply circumcise Your hearts. Your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff necked any longer. Obviously, physical circumcision doesn't change that, did it? That's why he says you must be circumcised of your heart. The proper response to God or to the Jews being chosen by Almighty God was to circumcise their hearts, because to not do so meant that you were hardened against God's commands. One was an attitude of your heart, the other one was just a physical cutting away. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, is talking to the people in Judah. Remember, they were going to be exiled into Babylon. He says, so they were obviously having issues with sin. He says, circumcise yourself to the Lord, circumcise yourself your hearts, he says, you men of Judah and you people of Jerusalem. We already knew they were physically circumcised, but now he says, circumcise your hearts or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. I guess physical circumcision wasn't going to keep them from that, was it? But God Almighty, who commanded physical circumcision, wanted them to deal with the bigger issue of sin, circumcision of the heart. Circumcision becomes a, a useless ritual unless the person devotes themselves to obedience and submits themselves to God. It's not just you can just do this and, oh, it's all good now, see? Well, so with these Jews in our text, obviously not grasping any of this, how does Paul counter this this false assurance? Look at verses 25 and 26. He says, circumcision has value if you obey the law or observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. Now, verse 26 is just, he flips the coin. He says, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's commands, the requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? So these Jews, like I'm sure many others, failed to see that circumcision in which they trusted profited them only on the condition that they keep the law. Okay, Listen, folks, Paul said the exact same thing to the church in Galatia. If you remember, the church in Galatia were being tested by the false teachings of the Judaizers who kept saying, you must obey the law of Moses and you must be circumcised if you're going to be a Christian. Okay, So they were duping the church. And so Paul writes to the church in Galatia and he says, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised. You believe these jokers. They're suckering you. If you do that, he says, you're obligated to obey the whole law. Don't just think it's all good because they convince you to be circumcised. you got to obey the whole law, he says. Circumcision, he says, was not some kind of a once and done. If it were possible to be justified by the law, and no, it is not. But if it was, he says, you have to obey all of it. All of it. Circumcision did not somehow free them from the law. It actually made them, it made them accountable to it, didn't it? See, some people thought it freed them from it. Phew, I'm okay with God, I'm heaven bound. No, it now makes you accountable to the whole law. If all you had to hold on to was physical circumcision, they were going to be just as guilty for their sins As the Gentiles were. What? They don't want to hear that. Folks, in Jerusalem, in Jeremiah, 600 years, 600 years prior to that very statement, in chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, Jeremiah said, A time is coming, says the Lord, when I will punish all of those who are circumcised in the body, but not in the spirit. The Egyptians, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the people who live in the desert in remote places, and yes, even the people of Judah. And like all of these pagan nations, the people of Israel also have uncircumcised hearts. So even back then, folks, 600 years before, he tells them, oh yeah, you've been circumcised, but ultimately he's saying, but so what? So of these other people right? But you don't have a circumcised heart, and therefore I will punish you. I will punish you. Can you you imagine how many Jews are going, whoa, hey, what are you, are you kidding? What about, what, what about this? He said, that's just physical. We're talking spiritual, see. Circumcised in the flesh, but uncircumcised in heart, he says, will all be punished. No different than right here in Romans chapter two, folks. This is Paul's petition. This is what he's saying. Right here in verse 27, for the second time in our text, Paul brings the Gentiles into the picture, which I'm telling you really has to grind these Jews because you know how they thought of Gentiles, okay? But he brings them into the picture. Verse 27, he says, the one who is not circumcised physically, that's the Gentile, and yet obeys the law, look at what it says, will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. Wow. Can you imagine reading that as one of those Jewish people? What? If an uncircumcised Gentile, Gentile obeys the law? He's better than us who, even though we fail, we've been circumcised. We possess the law. We have the sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. You almost want to say, are you kidding me? That's how you can picture this. Folks, these first century Jews, and still some today, obviously, were hung up on ritual. They're hung up on ritual. Ritual, by the way, I just define that as everything that is external, okay? There's nothing meaningful from the heart. It's just the things that you do, see? Because I have did this or because I did that, it is pleasing to God, is what people think, because it's ritual. And therefore, many of them just think, I can just live in sin, and it's all good, right? Right? I can live in sin and maybe go to the priest and if I walk across the street and get hit by a car, I'm good, it's okay. Theologian Charles Hodge basically says, when you have nothing left, when you leave the truth, religious focus goes from inward to outward, from humble obedience to empty formality. When you leave the word of God for these people, when you leave the law, when you leave God's moral standards, he's saying, all you got left is the outward. All you got left is ritual, and therefore you cling to it. Oh, yeah, but I did this on that day, and I went to there when I was supposed to, right? You do these things, that's all you got, because you're not living for it, you're not knowing the word, you're not applying it, so you just do the religious, ritualistic thing, which he says, is just empty formality. Well, here's what had to get them, these Jews. Paul says here in verse 27, the uncircumcised Gentile who obeys the law is actually, he says, a rebuke to you Jews who don't obey the law. He's saying the Gentiles can live a life that rebukes them, even though they're circumcised. Folks, that's saying that it's actually possible for the Gentile to be more pleasing to God than the Jews. That's what Paul is saying. Okay? That had to just shatter their world because, as you know, from verses 17 through 24, which which we reviewed earlier, the Jews always considered themselves superior to the Gentiles, right? We are the Jews. We have the law. We are the guide. We are the instructors, right? We are the light to these Gentiles. And Paul turns around and says, now hold on just a second. So moving now into verses 28 and 29, Paul's going to give somewhat of a summary. In other words, you're going to hear a little bit of repetition, okay? But he's going to give a little bit of a summary, okay? But he's going to be a little bit more specific, okay? It's almost like he's going to close out his thought, but he wants to make sure he didn't miss anything, okay? Look what he says. He says, a man is not a Jew, If he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. Circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. We read that earlier in the Old Testament, right? And it's by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but it's from God. So after saying from the beginning, starting here in verse 25 this morning, that circumcision has no value in and of itself, here in verse 28, Paul reiterates the point that he made earlier, and that is only having the outward, what I I simply called an external religion. If all you got going for you is the outward part, That will in no way be pleasing to God. To you and me today, you might think, okay, whatever, that's huge to the Jew. That's huge, okay? I I read to you before, that is, I mean, there's a blockade going into hell for somebody who was circumcised, and he's now telling them just the opposite. He's saying, well, the problem is, yeah, physically, that's all good, but It's the heart is what we're looking for. See, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says, circumcision that is only outward is of no avail to God because God wants the outer demonstration to be a sign of the inward reality. You and I sometimes use that term in baptism, right? Baptism is an outer sign to the people, right? A public declaration of what's happened to you inside. You're letting everybody know what's taking place in your life, okay? Paul even went as far as to say here, just because you call yourself a Jew, and remember verse 17, they did call themselves Jews, and they took pride in calling themselves the Jews. But he says, just because you call yourself a Jew, because you were physically circumcised, doesn't really mean it's true. Ooh. Ooh you know, that had to rock their world just a little bit there, see? Because a Jewish man's attachment with the patriarchs, which I read earlier in Genesis chapter 17, right, had its connection in their minds, it had their connection with being physically circumcised. I'm a son, a descendant, a child of Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. And he connected it with that circumcision from here on. That's how they connected themselves to that. And Paul will actually touch on this later in chapter nine, verse six, when he says, "Not all who are descendant of Israel are Israel." right? Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're part of the true Israel." And so finishing this, this uh, short explanation, Paul's now going to switch. He's going to say, look it, we're going to go from the the, the outward, the external religious part, to what matters, and that is the the inward or the internal relationship. I'm going to read it one more time, verse 29. A man is not a Jew if he is only one, I'm sorry, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is, is a circumcision of the heart. He says it is by the Spirit, it is not by the written code or the law. Such a man's praise is not from men, but it is from God. A true Jew, I use that word, who wants to have a relationship with God is not just going to focus on outward signs. Okay, and of course, this was the problem going on in a text. They thought that was all you had to do. Paul says, no, a true Jew is not just going to focus on that because that doesn't change hearts, okay? which as we know is what God desires. He even talked about it back in Deuteronomy a couple different times. Jeremiah, as I mentioned, even the, under the Old Covenant, he talked about this. God's desire was for the heart, not just the physical cutting away. I mean, that would be like us saying today, a true child of God is somebody who has a fish on their car, or a a true child of God is somebody who wears a cross around their neck. As ridiculous as that is now, Paul is saying it's no different for you to sit around saying, hey, you did it in obedience, and that's a good thing, but don't just think that's your ticket. You're done. You're good to go. I'm heaven bound. I'm right with God, and, and that's it. You got an issue. It's called sin. See, they had a problem, and that is with symbolism. Okay, their symbolism lacked substance. There's no value in a symbol, as you know. It's just that. It's just a symbol. There's no substance to it. But the problem is, that's what the Jews did. They held on to the symbol, not the substance, not what God means, not what He intent, not what He desires. As we would say today, a changed heart, a changed life is what gives evidence of a believer. Here he's saying it's a circumcised heart. It's like he's saying those are the same thing. There must be a cutting away of the hardness of the heart that, that stands opposed to God. There must be a, a new heart, one that is consecrated to God. And as you know, that will result in a pure life. Okay? And this is why he says here, this is done by the Holy Spirit. It's not done by the law. The law can't do that. Okay? And the law tells you that you are a sinner. That's what it does. But the Holy Spirit empowers you to be free from that sin. It's not all symbolism. It's not just the physical. It's the spiritual. It's what's going on in here that matters. See, And then ending verse 29, Paul says, that kind of person is the one who seeks praise from God, not men. Which is the flip side of, of the people who do this outward stuff. They do ritual. They do the external. They look for praise from men. They want to know what men think. They want men to mankind to see them, right? That reminds me of, Rome, uh, Romans. That reminds me of uh, Matthew chapter 6. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. He deals with the Jews, more specifically, the Jewish leaders, like the Pharisees. Listen to what he says. First, he talks about giving to the needy. Jesus says, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. In other words, don't let everybody know you're giving to the needy. I'm about to, ready to put my check in the box, right? It says, no, no, don't do that. Do not announce with the trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street corners to be honored by men, right? It's like they announce it with trumpets. They, want, they literally want people to see them putting their money in the bucket. So they're honored by men. Go down a little bit. And he talks about prayer. And when you pray, don't be like these guys. Don't be like these hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Once again, they're getting their praise from man. That's what they do. And lastly, Uh, fasting here he says when you fast do not look somber as the hypocrites they make themselves look really bad as if I'm just I'm just suffering for God right do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show men that they're fasting huh they're doing it for men Oh, yeah, they can say, like the Jews, well, I, uh, I gave to the needy. I fasted. I prayed. Well, okay. Outward versus inward, right? You're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Just like back here with the Jews. Oh, yeah, you can say, oh, no question. You guys obeyed God by being physically circumcised, but you're living in sin. You're not dealing with your heart. God's law even said you got to circumcise your heart or there's going to be punishment. There's going to be wrath. Sadly, folks, there are people today who still seek the praise of men more than God. They live for man instead of God. They li- it's based on how they look. It's based on what they do because they literally want everybody to notice something that they did. They want somebody to notice what they're doing, right? People still today do the same thing in the church. And then sadly, we're still in a time today when many people are focused on ritual, okay? Thinking that somehow it's pleasing to God. We see people like Roman Catholicism. We see the Greek Orthodox. Um, you know, it's somehow it's supposed to be special if you wave burning incense. Or because I do this, right? The sign of the cross. Or if I got my little beads going. Or if I kneel when he says kneel. Or if I respond to when he says something else. Folks, you can do, you can do 50 of those things. You know how, you know how much it does mean to God? Nothing. Zero. None of it's biblical. None of it's pleasing to God because God's looking at your heart. He's not going, yeah, but God, I did that. But I did the responsive prayer perfectly. Did you see me holding my beads? And you can go on and on and on. There's lots of things they do. You know this. There's nothing there. So people today still think they're right with God because they do these things, there's no relationship. Never had a circumcised heart. So even today, folks, we live in a time where, kind of as uh, was said earlier, when you got nothing going on inside, you focus on the outside. When you got got nothing going on here, when you don't dig into scriptures, when you don't want to know what God says, you just do the ritual. It's just formality. But somehow, you think that you're okay with God. But folks, even for, for Christians, do not get caught up in man-made rules. Christians, many I think maybe David, maybe you even grew up that way. Um, a lot of people may have in man-made rules in the church, right? I mean, we all know the, uh, that many churches say, well, you know, you, you, ladies, you better be wearing a dress. Guys, you better be wearing a suit and tie because we know God is only going to be impressed by that. He doesn't, he doesn't care if you come there ready to serve, ready to hear, ready to worship. No, you got to wear this extra material. you got to wear the jacket. And I can't tell you how many people absolutely 100% believe that. It's external. And as I've said many times, a suit and tie can cover a multitude of sins because a suit and tie to them is what makes them look ready to worship. Really? Their clothes? But they may be living in sin, but they look good now. I'm not saying it's wrong, by the way, to wear a suit and tie. That's fine if you choose to do so. But for many people, it's something like that. For somebody else, it's like, what do you mean you don't take communion every week? What's wrong with you people? And that is going to be another ritual. We are commanded to take communion as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup. It doesn't say you have to take it every week. Once again, nothing wrong with that. But when they turn it into something, you got to do this. We had somebody in our church 25 years ago leave the church. We rewrote the Constitution. And because the Constitution did not say we have communion every week, he left the church. Folks, that's meaningless ritual. You're focusing on the things that don't matter as much, right? You're focused on the minors instead of the majors. And we can go on and on and on, but my point is, as we see this text, and hopefully as we understand this issue that the Jews were dealing with, we sometimes do the same thing in the church. It may not be as obvious as that, because we, you know, okay, we see this, we understand that historically, but how many times in the church do certain people do things? Even here. What do you mean you don't pass the plate? Well, yeah, there's a box over there. How do you have church not pass the plate? That's what you do. No, I don't you know anywhere in the Bible where it says I have to do that. But because they grew up that way, it becomes these man-made things. And for those of you who grew up in this, and people who keep, are at that same church for 30 or 40 years, that to them is how you do church. And you're wrong if you don't do it that way. You come into some other place and why don't, Why'd you do this and not do that? Why not, right? So think about that for yourself. Maybe there's something in your own mind, your own heart, your own traditions. Nothing wrong with those things. But if you think they are things that please God, you must do them, it's wrong. God wants your heart. If he's got your heart, He'll take, he's got everything else. See, remember that, if anything, as you apply this to your life today. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this text. Um, I know it's interesting as when you talk about circumcision, but Lord, when you talk about it being a religious belief, when you talk about it, it making you right before you, it becomes an issue. It's like today. Many people think it's Jesus plus something else it doesn't matter what that something else is that's wrong. Jesus paid it all, as the song says, all to him I owe. Sin is left a crimson stain. He, not he plus something, but he has washed it white as snow. God, help us to see that there's many things that there's nothing wrong with doing. But when we place them on a certain pedestal alongside our faith in Christ, alongside our, our hearts, they become an issue. So, Lord, help us to certainly understand this in our scripture today. We want to understand the context. We want to understand who Paul is talking to, why they believe this historically. But, Lord, in applying it to ourselves, we want to understand, our, have the right theology and not do the same thing in the church today. that Maybe we just don't recognize it. I mean, we grew up that way and our parents taught us that. we open our eyes to see the truth in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.